Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Finding Comfort in Troubled Times. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This morning, I want to talk to you about finding comfort in troubled times, especially given the struggles we face in this day as individuals, as a church, and as a nation. And the way I want to do this is by reading through and diving into Psalm 77. It's a wonderful psalm written by a guy named Asaph, which has brought me great comfort in troubled times. So if you would, turn in your devices or in your Bible to Psalm 77. We'll be reading from the New King James Version. There's about 20 verses packed with revelation. We're going to dive deep, take it verse by verse. Verse 1 said, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and He gave ear to me. You know, the word translated as cried in this verse means to call together. And the word voice means to call aloud with voice or sound. So you kind of put those two together in this verse and we see that this is referring to times in our lives when we cry out loudly to the Lord seeking a deep and abiding connection with Him. Sometimes in life when we're facing difficult times, we instinctively cry out to God in this way. We say things like, I need to talk to you, Lord. I need to hear from you. I need to connect with you. I feel so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go. And whether it's loud or soft in the natural, it's coming out loud and clear in your spirit, and God hears your cry. Psalm 42, 7 says it like this, Deep calls unto deep, where the deepest part of your heart cries out seeking a connection with your Maker and the deepest part of His heart. I call it the heart cry of the believer. And this Scripture tells us that God always hears our heart cry. Verse 2, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. How many besides me have ever felt like that, have been in that situation and felt just like that? There have been times of trouble in my life where I've done exactly that. I've stretched out my hands to the Lord in the night and prayed to my God. I say things like this, Lord, hold me by my right hand and lead me and guide me through this time of trouble. That's Psalm 73, verse 23 and 24. How many know I spent a lot of time in the Psalms? Yet there were times when my soul simply would not be comforted. Verse 3. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained 
and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. I remembered that God was with me every step of the way, and yet I was still troubled. I was still complaining about my situation, and therefore I still felt overwhelmed. But I've learned over the years at times like this, I need to remember Psalm 61 2, which says, Lord, when I am overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When I am overwhelmed, when I'm all out of sorts, when I'm discombobulated, that's a real word, look it up. Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I need a foundation. I need something under me that's not going to crumble. Right now, things feel kind of shaky for me. But you are my rock. You are my firm foundation. You will see me through this. You will see me through to victory. Amen. Verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You know, sometimes when you've been crying out like this for a good long while, you get weary and you run out of words. I remember one time years ago in the 1990s, I was going through the greatest trial of my life up to that point, And I was simply so overwhelmed. I didn't even know what to say or what to do. I remember sitting at my desk at the 93rd Bomb Squadron. I was the chief pilot. I'd close the doors and I would put my head on the desk and I would say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because it's all I knew to do. I had no words. But listen, in this church, you've heard me say this many times. When you run out of words, it's time to lean on the Holy Ghost. It's time to pray in the Spirit. It's time to pray in tongues. Hallelujah. Because when you do, Romans 8.26 says, you pray out the intercession that is promoted by and led by the Holy Spirit. And when it comes out, it comes out perfect. You pray perfect intercession for you and whatever you're facing in life at the time. You may not even know what you're praying, but you know you're praying right. So if you don't know how to pray, you don't know what to pray, you don't know where to start, it's time to start by praying in tongues. Then if you get an unction in your known language, it'll come out of you in prayers that are much more focused, that are much more on target. Then declarations and decrees will start coming out of you motivated by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Many times, a season of praying in the Spirit will put you over in troubled times. At least put you in a position where you're no longer weighed down by what you're going through because you know it won't last forever and you can see that God will lead you through to victory when it's all said and done. Verse 5. I have considered the days of old. The years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart. And my spirit makes diligent search. His spirit 
starts searching out all the other times he's been in this kind of predicament or his nation has been. And he's starting to remember some of the things that God has done for him in the past. So we see a shift in the way that Asaph is praying. He, he begins to shift from just crying out to the Lord, rehearsing all the circumstances and focusing only on the problem to giving his soul a reason to hope, a reason to expect God to move on his behalf. Can you see that? He begins to remember all the times the Lord came through for His nation and for Him personally in the past. He even remembers the song that He sang in the night the last time the Lord came through big for Him. And then He begins to answer all the questions that have been swirling around in His mind and His soul as He cries out to the Lord. And He lists here a series of what I call rhetorical questions where you ask the question when the answer is obvious. And I believe as he recited these, that he in his mind answered these rhetorical questions. So bear with me here. Verse 7 says, Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Of course not. He will not abandon me. He will not abandon us. His favor will surround us like it did before. Verse 8, has His mercy ceased forever? Has His promise failed forevermore? No, His mercy is everlasting and His promises never fail. Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Selah. No, God has not forgotten His mercy and His grace will be poured out on us again. You can count on it. Verse 10. And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Asaph says, enough of this anguish, enough of these menacing thoughts. I'm going to remember the times that the right hand of the Lord came through for me and for my nation. Verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Amen. Asaph says, as I have cried out to the Lord, I have been moved by His Spirit to remember the wonderful things He has done for me and for my nation in the past. Verse 12. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of all your deeds. This is my paraphrase. I will meditate on all that you've done and I will tell everyone I can that He came through for us in the past and He'll come through for us again. If he did it before, he can do it again. Amen. Verse 13. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? This word here translated as sanctuary. It means a sacred place. Where everything that's done is done right and holy. 
So you could read it like this. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary, a place where everything is done right and holy. Who is so great? A God is our God. I want you to see that here in verse 13, that in the midst of remembering all that God has done for him, Asaph begins to worship. This is my paraphrase based on my word study of this verse. Lord, everything you do is right and holy. There is none like you. There is no other God like you. Amen. Verse 14 says, You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. That word there for wonders is the word that's also translated miracle. Lord, you have done wonders, miracles, and by this you have shown your power to the nations. And you've demonstrated your power unto me. He's still worshiping. Verse 13. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Now this is the third time that we've read the word Selah. And I've resisted the temptation to dive into its meaning till now. The word Selah means two things from what I've been able to discover. It means I have completed my line of thought. Now stop and think about what I said. Think about it. So let's reread verse 15 and talk about it for a minute. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. I have completed my line of thought. Now stop and think about what I said and what it means. It's talking about the redemption of God's people. In this day and age, that includes all of us who have made Jesus the Lord of our lives. The word redeem means to buy back from bondage by paying a price. And the price that was paid was the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? So here's what I'm driving at. If you can't think of anything God has done for you lately or in the past, in the midst of your turmoil, just remember how God saved you and filled you with His Holy Spirit. How He turned your life around and in some cases saved you from death and from a certain trip to hell just in the nick of time. You know, I grew up in church. My mom was English. My dad met her right after World War II at Bushy Park in London. He was stationed there. And they got married and moved to the States. And I was born in Langley Field, Virginia. At any rate, my mom was a member all her life of the Church of England, which the closest equivalent here in the United States is the Episcopal Church. So I was raised in the Episcopal Church. And I want you to know, I was taught the Bible, even in the Episcopal Church. I knew all the Bible stories. I knew what Jesus did. I knew about His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You know, I heard it, but it just didn't mean anything to me. I just didn't get it. Maybe it's because of the way that it was packaged. I don't know. Until when I was 17 years old, I got invited by a, a young cheerleader there at Mount Airy High. 
she asked me to come to a youth retreat. Actually, she asked me to come to the coffee house, which was a a non-denominational youth group that was open to the whole city. Met on a Monday night at Grace Moravian Church. So she asked me to come, and I said, I'll come. She said, promise me you'll come twice. I found out why. Because the first time I went in there, there's all these kids with tie-dyed shirts and afros and bandanas and you know, peace and uh, Jesus is the way, you know. And it was real hippified and, and there were people singing and some people were singing in tongues and it totally freaked me out. And had I not promised Ellen that I would come twice, I would never have set my foot in a place like that again. But I promised. And so the second time I went to Coffee House, I felt just as weird. But somewhere in the midst of the Spirit of God moving in that place, I felt the presence of God for the first time in my life. And I knew that they had something that I did not have. I did not understand it. But I knew that I had to have what they had. So I got invited to a youth retreat. Grandfather Mountain, North Carolina, just on the other side of the state there. And on Saturday night of this weekend, the youth leader, he had a communion service. He had some bread and some grape juice. And in that communion service, he just took a few minutes to talk about that the bread was a type or a symbol of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And he went through all the torture and the lashes and everything that Jesus suffered before he went to the cross. And then he talked about the grape juice being a symbol of the blood of Jesus that was shed for me that I might receive forgiveness of sin. And so when he described those things, I had no idea, uh, by the way, that I was the only unsaved person in that room. And he did something. He said, you know, I'm not accustomed to doing this, but I'm going to do an altar call in the communion service. And so he did an altar call, and I was the only one that went up. And they prayed for me, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and my life has never been the same. Amen. Never, ever been the same. So if nothing else, when I hit troubled times in my life, I can remember that Jesus saved me and fill me with the Holy Spirit in divine fashion, with divine connections. And had that not happened, who knows where I would be today. Or even if I would still be alive. But now I'm here in this church preaching to people like you. Wonderful people like you. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Verse 16, the waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you, they were afraid. The depths also trembled. Now Asaph gets to the big one. It's the big one. Remember that show? Now Asaph gets to the big one. Of all the memories he ponders, of all the miracles that the Lord had performed on behalf of his people. This was the one that topped them all. Amen. It's the miracle that everyone has heard of, even if you're not religious, even if you weren't raised in church. 
the time the Lord parted the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to cross over on dry ground. It is quite amazing. I was amused last night as I was going through the Internet, and I was reading a couple of bylines of how science can explain the Red Sea parting. I just laughed. I don't even have to read it because I know it's going to be ridiculous. Years ago, there was one that was going around about how that the Red Sea was at low tide and it was only about six or eight inches deep at that time and you could cross through on foot. I thought, that's a great miracle. Just think, the whole Egyptian army was drowned by eight inches of water. So I tend to laugh at stuff like that. Verse 17, the clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Now this is a reference to torrential rain and thunder and lightning and earthquakes and uh, uh, tornadoes none of which are mentioned in Exodus 14, which is the account of the parting of the Red Sea. So I don't think that this is saying that the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea with this kind of weather overhead. I don't think they're adding details that Exodus 14 left out. I think he's talking about the torrential rain, the thunder and the lightning, the earthquakes and tornadoes that were directed by God against the pursuing Egyptian army. It reminds me of a line from one of my favorite movies, Gladiator, when the Romans were facing the barbarian hordes, and Maximus turns to one of his commanders and says, on my signal, unleash hell. I can almost hear God saying something similar when he unleashed this monumental upheaval of nature against the Egyptian army, hell-bent on destroying the people of God. You want to unleash hell on my people? I'm about to unleash hell on you. And just when you think you fought your way through and you're poised to destroy them, I've got an even bigger surprise for you. I felt the anointing on that. 19. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. There's so much in this verse. I got to read it again. And I got to pray that I can bring it out as powerfully as I see it in the word. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. The first thing I want you to see is that God's way of deliverance was in the sea. The path was there right in front of the Israelites as they faced the sea. They just couldn't see it because it was covered by so much water. Amen. How awesome is that? Think about this. The average depth of the Red Sea was 1,500 feet. So we're talking about a lot of water. And the place they crossed had to be pretty wide to allow over a million people and all of their livestock and all of their wagons to cross over the path that was made. So the point I'm trying to make is this. The path 
of deliverance was right in front of them. They just couldn't see it. Because it was hidden in a way they never could have imagined. And of course, we all know the end of the story. The Israelites passed over peacefully like a flock of sheep moving from one pasture to another. That's why verse 20 says this. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You know, applying it to our own lives, I think many times we cry out to God in our distress and the path to victory is right in front of us. We just can't see it. We just need to pray that the Lord will show us the way out, no matter how fantastic that way may be. Amen? Let's wrap this up with a thought that we can apply to our current dilemma as a nation. The remnant of God in the churches of America, we saw what was coming. We prayed against it. Yet it seems like the forces of darkness won anyway. That righteousness, truth, and justice did not prevail. But hear me out. I'm here to tell you that it's not over until the Lord says it's over. And even though the Egyptian army seems to be bearing down swiftly behind us, we have arrived at our Red Sea moment. We're either going to be destroyed as a nation or we're going to be delivered in spectacular fashion. I'm telling you what I believe. I believe God is about to cause an east wind to blow and the waters of our Red Sea to part. And we're going to pass through on dry ground and the enemy's going to be destroyed behind us as they try to follow us through. Amen. We can't see the path right now, but we will see it soon. And it will be uncovered in a truly fantastic way. I really believe this. And this great nation, the United States of America, will pass over in peaceful fashion like a flock of sheep led by Jesus, the great shepherd, from one green pasture to another. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message. Finding Comfort in Troubled Times If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.